Welcome to the Kerwin Baptist Church broadcast today. Our desire is for the Word of God to be spread throughout the world so that all may know Christ. Join us now for a portion of one of our services here at Kerwin Baptist Church, located in Kernersville, North Carolina. I want you to look at verse 1 of John chapter 13. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father. It's almost like the, um, a going away speech. It's almost like these are kind of the last words that Jesus would share with those that He was closest to. This was a very special time. Now notice this. He says, He should depart out of this world unto the Father, verse 1, having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. Let me just stop right there. It has nothing to do with our message. But aren't you glad that when Jesus loves you, He loves you to the end. It does not stop. And what He means by that was, it didn't matter how many disciples had let Him down, or how many people had let Him down, they were His own, and He loved them to the end. That's a good um, challenge to parents, isn't it? We should love them to the end. I want you to notice verse 2. In supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Let me just say this is a special time, a victorious time. Jesus is getting ready to really purchase our redemption. And you see in verse 2 how busy Satan was. Whenever God is doing something, Satan, you will bet upon it, is very busy. Are you looking at me? Let me, let me just give you a little bit of a... Two Sundays ago, we had a, a really good Sunday morning service as far as the fact we had quite a few folks saved. The Lord just worked in that service. I've got numerous emails and things from folks, just decisions that were made, assurance of salvation and different things that we've talked with and different things, and we're even meeting with some this week. But you look at me. We had that, and it, it, it cracked me up in a sense. You talk about wisdom. I think it was the very next day, Monday, Burtis left me a voicemail, and um, he said, Hey, preacher, just want to call you and let you know I'm praying for you today. I know we had folks, a lot of folks saved yesterday morning. So that just means I'm sure Satan's really going to fight you this week. And he had no idea when he called and left that message, the reason it went to voicemail is because I was sitting putting out a fire like you wouldn't believe between people in our church. And since that Sunday, it has been one thing after another. You wouldn't believe it. Whenever God is busy, Satan is behind the scenes. And, and let me tell you how Satan works, not blatantly, he says how he put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. While God is working outwardly, Satan is working inwardly. Wow. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself... After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. 
Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. I cannot wait to get to this verse this morning. That is a tremendous verse. You have no idea what that means for us. Notice if you would, verse 11. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments, and if you notice that, he knew he was going to stab him in the back before he washed their feet. So Jesus, literally knowing who was getting ready to betray him, humbly washed his feet. Now, what kind of a man would it take to have the very Son of God washing your feet, only to leave there with those very feet to deliver him to be crucified? Notice, if you would, verse 12, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. That means, and by the way, it's not wrong. There are churches that literally participate in feet foot washing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when Jesus says here, I've given you an example, that word in the Greek is an illustration. And that means this, God's not saying that you have to go wash people's feet. It's the principle of it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I'm not saying it's wrong for an individual. And some churches, they will have, you know, a day of the week. They'll meet and they'll wash each other's feet or something like that. I'm not saying that's wrong. We just don't do that here. We're not wrong because we don't do it. They're not wrong because they do do it. We're just saying that God gave the example here of humility. Okay, now notice if you would... Verse 16, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, notice this, happy are ye. He didn't stop there, did he? So knowing doesn't make you happy. He said, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I saw this... And I thought it was interesting that Benjamin Franklin concluded a speech one time on the guarantees of the Constitution. And a heckler shouted out to Benjamin Franklin, All oh, them words don't mean nothing at all. Where's all the happiness you say it guarantees us? You remember what the Constitution says, the pursuit of happiness, that all men have the right to that? And this heckler says, those words don't mean nothing at all. Where's all that happiness you say it guarantees us? And Benjamin Franklin smiled and replied, My friend, the Constitution only guarantees the American people the right to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, you promise that we can be a happy people if we do these things that you've given us an example of. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us to rightly divide your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In these verses, believe it or not, Jesus gives a formula literally for spiritual joy. 
In other words, if, if you and I do not abide by these principles that are given in this passage, we're not going to have spiritual joy in our life. We're still going to be saved, and we're still going to know the Lord if you've been saved. We're, we're still going to know all that. That doesn't change. But we're not going to have that joy. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of things that Christianity needs and Bible believers need and churches need. But I'm going to be honest. One of the biggest things missing from, from our churches and from our people is joy. And you say, well, the devil's just busy. He is. But God says right here, we can have happiness and joy in the midst of all that Satan's trying to do. And so I want to look at this and I want to find out, all right, Lord, what, what are these principles? What is this formula that you have given? And, and so if you have your notes, these will be on the screens, too, that you can write these down. You need to get a hold of this. I promise you this will change your life. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus is literally teaching here that there is joy in a servant's life. There is joy in a servant's life. Now we see this in verses 3 to 5 and then in verse 12 through 16. Look at verse 15, if you would, real quickly. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. First under this, Jesus teaches that there is joy in a servant's life. Number one, you see that Jesus taught humility. He is teaching humility. Now you say, how is that, preacher? Foot washing was the work of a slave in these days. If you were a slave at an individual's house, and it was a very common practice, that was as common in a house as TVs are in our houses now. And if you were a slave, part of your job, you'd wash their feet because obviously they had sandals and, and they didn't have concrete and pavement and carpet and different things. And individuals' feet oftentimes would get dirty even though the rest of them weren't. They would just go walk outside to do something real quick and they didn't necessarily get sweaty or dirty, but their feet would be filthy. And so part of a servant's menial task would be to wash the master's feet. And Jewish servants here, I want you to understand... Jewish servants were never required to wash their master's feet. But Gentile slaves, they were considered dogs. And they were forced to wash their master's feet. Remember all the way through Ephesians, we've talked about the, the Jewish and the Gentile thing, how Christ died for both. And thank God. Now, if you're a Gentile and you're not necessarily a Jewish individual, even though that was a chosen people, God loves you and died for you. And you can be part of the family just as much as everybody. And aren't you glad that we're not treated like dogs by God? We're treated as equal human beings. But this was a servant's job. And what I find here, as Jesus does this in front of them, literally in front of them, the master became the servant. Jesus became the servant. It's called servant leadership. It's called leading others by being a servant to them. Wow. This literally pictures Jesus as the servant of man. The fact that he willingly left heaven and he left the glory of heaven and he came to this world to die for common people like you and me. He is deity. He is God. And the fact that although he was God, he came and died for us, the master became the servant. He's literally teaching the disciples humility. Can I tell you that what he just did there in front of them, you and I do the opposite. 
Jesus figured out what he could do for them, you and I are figuring out what people need to do for us. We're just inherently that way. And literally, dear friend, I want you to know that you and me as Christians, while we, our society has taught us that we have rights and, and we're not going to let people run over, you know, all these things, you've got to understand there's a reason sometimes why we don't have the joy of the Lord in our hearts because we've not practiced humility. Because the Christian will only have fullness of joy when they have the characteristic traits of Christ. And here he taught humility. He literally used this lesson, folks, to rebuke the selfishness of the disciples. You say, why is that? Luke chapter 22, beginning there, we find right before this time, the disciples were literally arguing over who would have the highest position in the kingdom of God. Did you hear me? The men that lived, breathed, and ate with Jesus, they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. And then the greatest of them all, Jesus, turns around and gets down and washes their feet. You talk about feeling like an idiot. You talk about being reprimanded without words. Jesus taught humility. He was rebuking the selfishness. You know what you and I often do? We want to find out who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be known? Who's going to be seen? Who's going to be thanked? Who's going to be praised? That's just us. And here the master became the servant. I want to read you this passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Listen to this. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Did you see it? Did you hear those verses? Are you all here with me this morning? That means Jesus just said, let me tell you how it's working right now, is that, you know, who's going to be the greatest and who's going to do this? He says, but that should not be so among you. The greatest ought to be the servant, and the servant should be the greatest. You and I are going to be shocked who is honored the most in heaven when we get there. It's going to be a bunch of people we have never heard of. Jesus was teaching humility. Second, Jesus taught honor. In this act of teaching that there is joy in a servant's life, he taught humility. Second, he taught honor. Look at verse 11. I want you to see this. For he knew who should betray him. Just that phrase, do you understand that Jesus also taught them here that although he had foreknowledge and Jesus knew everything from the beginning of time and Jesus knew who was going to betray him and who was going to stab him in the back and yet Jesus still loved him, washed his feet, showed humility to him. Listen to me. It might have, get this, please look at me. It might have been really easy for Jesus that day to wash John's feet. John had always been close. John had always loved Jesus. John had always sacrificed for Jesus. John had always made efforts. John was always the one that in the middle of everything was concerned about Jesus. John was the thoughtful one. John was the considerate one. John was the one that noticed the details that nobody else notices. 
John was the one, maybe you have somebody in your life that everything's going on, there's a bunch of people around, and they'll just kind of come up to you and they'll say, how are you feeling? I've been praying for you. I know you're bearing a heavy load. It's like as if nobody else seems to notice or even care about that, and there's that one person that does. That was John. It might have been easy maybe for Jesus to wash his feet, but can you imagine how hard it would have been for Jesus to wash Judas's feet? And yet what Jesus taught them here is it doesn't matter how a person treats you. What matters is how you treat them. Wow. Anybody else here, anybody else here want to say convicted? Jesus is teaching honor. Jesus is teaching that he's not a respecter of persons. Jesus is teaching that he loves you even if you've done him wrong. Jesus is showing that he still loves you here this morning even if you've sinned and you've gone a guilty way away and it really doesn't matter what you've done, he still loves you. Jesus was great, wasn't he? Listen to these verses in Matthew chapter 5. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Jesus taught humility. Jesus taught honor. Can I ask you something? Can you and I honestly say this morning that we serve all men alike? Could we really honestly say that we treat everybody the same? No, we don't. Jesus here is teaching to humble yourself. And he's teaching here to honor others. To put them ahead of yourself. Wow. Third thing he's teaching, just this one act. Under this thing of a servant's life, third thing is Jesus taught helping. Look, if you would, at verse 16 and then at verse 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that hath sent him. Look at verse 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, you've got to get this point if you don't get anything else, and I hope you get everything else, but you've got to get this if you don't get that. I want you to understand, Jesus was and is and always will be superior to all men. However, he washed the disciples' feet. And you've got to get this. We always say that when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, that he lowered himself. Humility. Do you agree with that? But what we often overlook is this. When Jesus did that, he did not just lower himself. He lifted them up. There have been times in my life, look at me, where individuals have been so good in giving to me at times where I wasn't good in giving to them. And when they showed that kindness, you know what it did? It made me a better person. I saw that and I said, I want to be like that. It humbled me. You mean to tell me that when those men arguing over who was going to be the greatest and when Jesus got down on his knees and literally washed those dirty, filthy feet, the, the act of a servant, and after they're arguing who's going to be the greatest and he shows that the greatest was the servant of all, I'm going to tell you something, that changed them. You know what will change this world? When they abuse us and we treat them good. 
You know what'll change this world when people at the job are just treat you like a jerk and you show the kindness of God to them. That'll change people. They don't know what to do with that. You come, you come right back at them, they're ready for that. They love that. But you show the love of God to them. I'm not saying I can do it, folks. I'm saying there are times I can and times I can't. So you better know that right off now, right off the bat. No, I, I warned you. Look at me. He taught them humility. He taught them honor. But Jesus taught them that when you do this to others, in lowering yourself, it will automatically lift them up. Wives, you think your husbands, you feel like your husbands need to be more of a man of God and they need to do more at home. Let me tell you how you do it. You say, when you lower yourself, and you, and you are a servant to them. It should lift them up. Oftentimes we want to build somebody up by tearing them down. It's not how it works. You build somebody up by lowering yourself. This is the principle Jesus was teaching. Just that act of what Jesus did. Are you looking at me? It did more for them spiritually than any sermon could. That's why we have a generation that has no use for church because they hear preachers on TV and whatever else and in churches too, not just on TV, and they say one thing when they get out of the pulpit, they're absolute jerks. Think they're God's gift to everything, better than everybody, judging everybody. No wonder they don't have any use for church. But when you lower yourself, others are lifted up. I want you to notice number two, he didn't just teach that there was joy in a servant's life. But number two, he, he showed here that there was joy in a sanctified life. That means this, you're not going to have joy as a Christian unless we're a servant. Second thing, look at verse 6. Once you get this, I thought this was good. Then cometh he to Simon Peter and saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not? But thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And notice Peter. This is always Peter, isn't it? This would be me in God's word. I hate to say it. I'd love to be like Paul. Or I'd be Peter. Look at verse 9. Run in my mouth before I think about it. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Look at verse 10. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. Now, what does all this mean? First, I, you've got to see Peter's confusion. And we, we did in verse 6 to 9, and Peter, probably his root was humility, and his root was, you know, I, 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 anybody else here want to say, I wouldn't feel comfortable with Jesus washing my feet either? I would feel very uncomfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable with anybody washing my feet. I don't like my feet touched. So people are like, you come over here and rub your feet. Yeah. I don't want to get toe jam all over my fingers. Don't touch my feet. I would be uncomfortable if anybody did, but I'm going to tell you something. The Son of God, the creator of the world, and he sits down and washes my feet as wonderful and perfect as he is and as horrible and rotten as I am, I would feel uncomfortable too. But Peter was confused about some things. And so Peter says, hey, don't wash my feet. And, and here's, what, here's what Jesus said. Well, then you can't have part of me. 
Oh, okay. So then he goes from where, hey, I don't want you to wash my feet, to now he says, hey, wash everything. Wash my head and my hands. He's confused. But now let me show you. Look, if you would, second at the Lord's clarification. Now you've got to get this. Jesus here is telling Peter that when a man is washed by the blood of Christ, his entire person is washed. Notice, if you would, verse 10. Look at verse 10. You've got to get this. Jesus saith unto he that is washed. That word washed is different than a few words later where he says, needeth not save to wash that Greek word. Those are two different Greek words. The Greek word L-O-U-W, or luau we call it sometimes, that is the first word. And that means a complete total washing. That second word wash is a word that I can't really pronounce. It's called N-I-P-T-W, and it's pronounced four or five different ways. Niptwa, they call it sometimes, or nipped, nita, they call it different things. But that word is a different word for wash, and that means to wash a specific thing. Look at me. Peter's saying this, well, if you've got to wash my feet to get the feet clean, wash my head and my hands so that my entire person will be clean. And Jesus said this, when you believe in me, Peter, you're already washed as an entire person. But when the feet get dirty, that means you got to wash the feet. That means this, when you're saved, you're saved. But when you sin, you got to get forgiveness for that sin. That means this, that you know what, I might mess up and I might get some dirt on my feet or some dirt on my hands. But when I got saved, Christ already washed the heart. But when I sin... That means, you know what, I don't need to go get the whole self cleaned again. That's why we believe once you're saved, you're always saved. I don't have to go get everything cleaned again because when he washed, whatever God does, he does it right the first time. But what he's saying here is this, you don't have to wash the entire man again. You need to cleanse that particular part. He's saying, Peter, I don't have to wash your head and your hands. This isn't about you getting clean. This is about me showing you humility. Dear friend, I want you to understand something. You and I, there is joy in a sanctified life. What do you mean a sanctified life, preacher? That means growing. That means, understand, we're saved, we're always saved. But let me tell you what sanctification is. The closer I get to the Lord, the more I'm going to take care of my sin. Sanctification is this. That means I'm more, I'm more tender about my sin. And as soon as I sin, and as soon as I, I, I keep a short account, and when I think that thought, or when I say those words, I stop and I say, Lord, that was wrong, and Lord, I want to get that right. And I'm going to tell you something, dear friend. The more sin you get confessed, and the quicker you confess it, the more joy you're going to have. You know why we don't have joy? Because we're full of sin that's never been asked to forgive. We're so sinful. That joy can't even come out. There's joy in a servant's life and there's joy in a sanctified life. Let me tell you something. Get that washed as quick as you can. Isn't it great we don't have to get the whole thing washed over again? Jesus doesn't have to go die on the cross again. We've been saved by the grace of God. We've been forgiven for that sin. But sometimes we get our feet dirty. And we need to clean them. I want you to notice number three and so many more things I want to Say about that. If you're keeping notes, I want you to write this passage down. You go look up at it later. I don't have time to read it. 1 John 1, 7 through chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John 1, 7 through 2, verse 2. You need to read that according to what I just talked to you about sanctification. Number three, there is joy in a secure life. There is joy in a servant's life. There's joy in a sanctified life. And finally, number three, 
There is joy in a secured life. You know, as we look at this thing of getting ourselves washed and, and keeping sin out of our life, Psalm 32, 5, listen to this. This is what David said. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest me the iniquity of my sin. Now, why did he use that phrase, thou forgavest me the iniquity of my sin? Why did David not just say, thou forgavest my sin? What is the iniquity of our sin? Look at me. Our sin robs the joy out of our life. That is the iniquity of sin. It is what sin causes. And David said, when God forgave me, he didn't just forgive me of the sin. He literally freed me from the iniquity of my sin. And the more you, my button, my jacket just fell off. I thought there was, I thought I just dropped coins. I was like, where did coins come from? My button just came off. Listen, there, this is the first time I've even ever worn this jacket. <laughs> cheap jacket, what in the world? This <laughs> is what I can afford to buy, a cheap jacket. Look at that. And, and, and so, you know, here, here God's forgiveness of our sin. He's done all this. And David said, God, you forgive me of the iniquity of my sin. Look at me. If you leave sin in your life, it'll rob that joy. There's joy in a secure life. Look at verse 10. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean. Notice this, every wit, and ye are clean, but not all. Thank you for listening today. We hope you received a blessing from our broadcast. The Kerwin Baptist Church is located at 4520 Old Hollow Road in Kernersville, North Carolina. You may also contact us by phone at 336 993 5192 or via the web at com. Enjoy our services live and all our media on our website and church app. Thank you for listening to the Kerwin broadcast today. God bless you.